So in Houston, I'm John Herter. It's Monday, the 25th day of April. Great as always to have you along, everybody. In a nutshell, From the Experts is a virtual networking accelerator helping people across industries connect very quickly in a brief, moderated, interactive show format. We're like a TED Talk with interaction. So what's in it for you? Our promise, if all goes well, your curiosity spark new ideas, accelerate action, and you may have helped yourself or somebody else solve a problem, make that connection, reaching the opportunity faster. You know, making authentic connections, expanding your networks, never been more important to your business. Thank you to our underwriters for transforming FTE Vision Network and Community into action, unique ventures, Alliance Benefit Group, Intrapoint, Ecosystems 2030, the Canon Community. Each of these experts in their niche markets, please take time to connect with them and learn more at FTE.network. You'll be glad that you did. So folks, help me welcome today's guest expert, Manny Burnaby. Manny is founder and CEO of Big Plasma AI, which specializes in AI for industry 4.0 applications and connected products. Manny has had roles ranging from data scientist at an AI unicorn startup to investment analyst with a global financial services firm. Hey, Manny, early on, we decided to sort of break this big AI ML topic down into a little bit more manageable, kind of a project basics for business managers approach, you know, thinking that it could be helpful for more traditional companies, non-tech businesses that are looking to the opportunity, but may have not have that deep bench of data scientists and processes in place to actually take advantage of it. Enjoy this discussion with you. And looking forward to seeing where this goes and where the group takes it. All right, looks like John is um, frozen. Frozen a little bit, so we'll wait for him to come back on. Can you see me? You guys there now? You're back. Oh, yes, you're back. Good. Well, hey, sorry about the the tech issues, but uh, Manny, we're so grateful to have you on, and I'm interested to find out uh, what you have in mind sharing with the group and where we take it today. Sure. Let's get uh, started, John. Thank you for the introduction. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today and to talk about this topic. So let's jump in. I want to start by talking about a a company that some of you may have heard of. I don't know. Maybe. Let's hear it. Let's see. Maybe we need a poll question on this one, John. Have you all heard of Amazon, company based out of Seattle called Amazon? Maybe some of you have. Um, Amazon today, we think of as an AI powerhouse. So they have Alexa out there in the marketplace. They're using AI for their product recommendation engine. They're using AI for their cloud services to help with shipping, to help your products get to you in two days. And so um, today they're a a big time AI power user and and provider, but that wasn't always the case. Um, In fact, in the middle of the 2010s, Bezos felt that Amazon was falling behind the competition when it came to competitiveness in AI and machine learning, namely Facebook, Apple, and Microsoft. And he felt like he really needed to get the company aligned on this vision of his that AI was going to be an AI powerhouse. So he had all of his deputies come back to him and to report to him how they were going to be using AI in their businesses, whether that was on the shipping side, the product side, the, the analytics side, they all had to come back and tell him what they were going to be doing to incorporate AI and machine learning into their product lineups and to include it into their, um, in their, in their, in their three-month plan. 
And so I like that as an example of a leader looking at where, at where the puck is going and getting the, the organization heading in that direction. Uh, today, we know Amazon as an AI powerhouse. They're one of the most valuable companies in the world. But if you look at some, some of their peers in that lineup of most valuable companies, you also see a lot of AI powerhouses. You see Google, you see Apple, Facebook, Microsoft. Yes, they're all very valuable, good at what they do, but they also are really good at AI machine learning and incorporating that into their businesses and product lineups. So there's either a correlation thing that's happening or there's a, um, a causation thing. But nevertheless, the point is that some of the company's most successful, most valuable companies feel like AI is going to be a core part of their business moving forward. And you might say, well, Manny, those are software companies. Those are Silicon Valley companies. Well, yes, but there's also another company you may have recently heard of called Tesla. Tesla today is more valuable than the next five largest car companies in the world combined. So if you take Toyota, Ford, GM, they don't, they don't have the same market value as Tesla does. That wasn't the case five years ago. Tesla has come out of nowhere to absolutely dominate that space. And they're in manufacturing. They're, they're selling automotives, right? And maybe, yeah, that's, that's what has gotten them into the space. And that's what they're known for right now. But Tesla is betting on AI machine learning on being the growth engine for their future prosperity. And a lot of that is being baked into the multiples that are driving that valuation for Tesla. So if you look at what they're, they're looking to launch this year, FSD, full self-driving, autonomous driving vehicle um, capabilities. They're selling insurance based on the analytics that are coming off of the Tesla vehicles. They're selling robotics next. Or, you know, they're not selling yet, but they're thinking in two years, they're gonna be selling robotics based on deep learning AI that's being used for FSD. And there's some other examples. So Tesla is not a software company, but still they, they have the attributes of an AI powerhouse. And I think that's gonna be the case more and more and more. And if I look closer to home for me, one of our clients, a mid-sized medical device manufacturer that historically wasn't a software company, wasn't a data company. We've recently started working with them to incorporate IoT analytics and telemetry into their devices to make it connected and to be able to provide data insights off of those analytics. So what are we doing? We're using those analytics to anticipate when a machine is going to fail for their customer or a device is going to fail for the customer. We're minimizing the, the time that the machine is down by giving the servicers the right of information about that machine when it does go down. We're selling data services back to those end consumers. So we're creating new lines of revenue for that company. That's a really good example of this trend. I think, you know, AI probably started with the big Silicon Valley tech startups. Now you're seeing Tesla, and now you're going to see a whole host of other companies, sort of the, midst, the, the middle of the market to tell into the market, come in and follow a, a suit. And so my view is that every company needs to have an AI and machine learning strategy in place. Every leader needs to have an opinion in terms of how AI is going to impact their business, is going to impact their company. And that's the case even if you're not a software company. And that's the case even if you're not a technical leader. And in my view, in fact, I think most of the effort, most of the work is going to be done by non-technical people within these organizations. Like the technical person can get data, can write models, and can push it to production. But you're going to need the business people, the marketing people, and the salespeople to get behind those efforts and to take that long-term view and actually transform that company into a non data company to one that is actively using AI 
to create a competitive advantage. And my sense is that this is somewhat urgent for, for almost any company, even if you're not in the automotive space, even if you're in oil and gas insurance, like think about automotive, the automotive space. Today, we have Tesla dominating the marketplace. You got to ask yourself your question, you know, in your space, what are the Teslas right now that are in, that are in incubation at a VC firm? You know, in four years, you're going to have a Tesla of your own in your industry. You know, how many of those are right now in those, in those, in those VC shops? You know, five, four, you know, one of them is going to hit. And you're going to find out about them in a year's time when they're making all this buzz and they're ripping. And by that time, it may be too late. So I'd say three to five years before every industry has a Tesla of their own. Um, so it's important to start laying the groundwork for how you're going to be taking advantage of this technology moving forward. So that's my challenge to you. Even if you're not a technical leader, you need to get um, up to speed on AI. You need to have an opinion and you need to help usher your company into being an AI-driven organization. Now, that's where we're going. What are going to be some of the challenges that are going to keep you from getting there? And I'll, I'll, I'll speak from experience. I've been in this space for a long time, from you know, deploying AI financial services, semiconductor manufacturing to transportation. I've seen it also. Here are the most common challenges that I feel um, you're likely to see no matter where you are in your AI transformation journey. Number one is dirty data. So I always think of data as sort of the oil that is lubricating this fine engine that you might have. You know, think about oil that's going through the gears, everything's going nicely. And then you have dirty data that's like sand or dirt that you would throw into the engine compartment and just gummies everything up. Not very good, not very pleasant. But dirty data and or not or no data is everywhere. You know, and my, my sense is because a lack of appreciation of data, a lack of forward thinking, a lot of companies just not putting a lot of time and effort, but dirty data or non-existent data is going to be one of your top foes as you make your way up the AI transformation curve. Number two is a rusty digital infrastructure. So I can come in as a data scientist. We're an innovation shop, a consultancy. We build datas, we deploy them, and we and, and excuse me, and we can validate them. But then you have to deploy it into your infrastructure. And if you're a legacy firm, chances are is that you have some legacy infrastructure that is not aligned with the best practices that is going to allow us to surface data, to deploy models, and to get insights into the hands of users in a very, very fast way. So a rusty, antiquated, legacy tech IT infrastructure is foe number two that you're most likely to come up against as you go into becoming an AI-driven organization. And then number three is what I would call an antiquated workforce. And I don't necessarily mean the folks here, but I mean the skill sets here. Um, as I work with organizations, there are not enough individuals that have titled data analysts in their role. Somebody mentioned, I think Mafe talked about uh, being an analytics major. We need more of those folks dispersed across different parts of the organizations. It's not enough to have a data analyst within a center of excellence. You need a manager that understands statistics. You need a manager that understands analytics. You need uh, people on the ground floor that can crunch stats and, and be uh, um, um, a force multiplier for your data scientists. So that's what I, I like to see with my organizations. I want them to see, I want to see more data analysts, more ML ops people. I want to see more data engineers and more data scientists come on to the workforce to help make some of this action possible. And it doesn't mean that you have to go out and hire all these folks. I'm a big fan of upskilling people. There's a lot of great people out there that just need a, some support, some courses to be to help drive those initiatives forward. Okay, so those are your challenges. 
Dirty data, rusty digital infrastructure, antiquated workforce. So what's the plan? How do we move forward? Now, I like to frame this in terms of a three-part type of system. One is you want to look ahead. You want to think about your current state. And then number three is you want to think about the next three months. So looking ahead, what does that mean? That means that in three years, you want to think about what is going to be the competitive advantage for your company from AI and machine learning. So we think back of Tesla and full self-driving, that is, that's totally the, hits the mark. So in five years, we need to be able to offer autonomous driving to our fleet of customers because someone else, otherwise someone else is going to do it and someone else is going to disrupt them. And also we have the data, we have the fleet, we can track the data, we can build this stuff internally and it's core to what we are as a company. We are a transportation company. So I really like that as a use case. The question is for you, what are those areas where you want to be super competitive in three years? That's looking ahead. Next step is to bring it to the current state. Okay, if that's where we want to be in three years, where are we right now with that data? Where are we right now with that infrastructure? Where are we with right now with that team? Do we have a team that is going to be able to build that? What are the, what are the projects that we've done thus far that kind of give us some sense of whether or not we're going to be able to do this or how, or what's the effort going to be involved on this? You want to kind of get a sense of what that is um, forward. And then importantly, this is the most important part of the three-step structure is what are you going to do over the next three months? Like you can spend a lot of time generating reports, talking to people, doing interviews, but nothing beats going out and validating these use cases. So if you think that you're going to be able to do predictive analytics on your machine, okay, what is the evidence that you're going to be able to generate in the next three months that's going to allow you to support that hypothesis, to be able to back it to shareholders, to be able to back it to executives? That's what we want to know. And in my mind, you want to do three things here. For a particular use case, you want to prototype it. You want to put it in front of a user and an operator to get real-world feedback in terms of how good you are in terms of assessing the need for them. Number two is you have to be able to build the business case for that use case. So a one-pager that you can put in front of an executive, and they may not get all the technical part, but they fall in love with the business part. It's like, yes, this makes total sense. If we're able to do this in three years, we're going to blow the socks out of the competition. That's what you want to be, uh, be getting. And then the third thing that you want to be doing is you want to be pushing to production. I can't tell you how important this is. If you think you have a good model, it looks good, people get excited, but then you try to actually put it into your own infrastructure and you're going to find out that you don't have rights to real-time data, that you don't have the capacity to fire these models on a real-time basis, that you can't get the insights, the leaders in a timely fashion. You're going to find out a whole bunch of things that you didn't know before the case. And that's okay, but that's one of the other areas that you want to be pushing towards. So that's what I would like to see in the next three months for my clients. Let's prototype. Let's build the business case. Let's push to production. And then after that, you want to repeat that process, come back to your five-year plan, current state, three months, and just keep hammering it, making a muscle, continuously improving on it, continuously getting to the end goal of where you want to be in three years. Now, my call to action to everybody is that I want you to turn to one of your executives, to one of your leaders, and ask them, what is our strategy for AI and machine learning in the next three to five years? Your leaders need to be able to give you a compelling answer on this response. You know, if you don't get the answer that is satisfactory, you got to do one of two things. You got to step up and lead within your own organization, and hopefully I've given you something to start working on with it. Or you got to find a new job because, as I mentioned, three to five years before that next Tesla comes into your space and is running circles around you, 
And so now is the time to be thinking about what that AI strategy is. How are you going to be the Tesla? How are you going to be the Tesla, not be the GM or the Chrysler? Um, so that would be my call to action to everybody. John, I'll, I'll hand it over back to you. Yeah, thanks, Manny. Boy, so let's uh, let's step back. It looks like the poll that we took originally here says we have uh, one or two people that have actually applied uh, this data science, AI, ML into their business. But the rest of the folks are really kind of looking at the opportunity. And so that's the group that we have here today. Uh, so I'd like to open it up to the group. Do we have any questions based on what Manny has said? Any basic questions? Feel free to, uh, to put it in the chat, but just speak up. We've got a nice intimate group here today. Jose, anything from you? Mafe, anything that you heard uh, said that you'd like to comment on? Hello, my name um, John. Thank you. I mean, very interesting. Um, I am on the software industry, so I'm familiar with the with the topic. Um, that's why I was waiting for making my question, but since you pushed my my name, uh, <clears throat> I am interested more on the on the opportunities, on the evolution, on the use of AI and machine learning on on edge. Let's say that basically on the small devices and industry, uh, we have had some projects in the past, like earmuff with active noise cancellation that you you work basically on edge and you train your models on the cloud. Um, there were some promises of hardware having kind of AI solutions embedded on their, on their chips, but things like there is no much, I, I don't see much out there, okay? So my question, if you are uh, deep on this one is if you have visibility on, on how the AI is evolving on the on the hardware side on the the edge capabilities. Good, good, good question, Jose. Thank you. And for, for context for everybody, um, when we're talking about training our models, and our model is a formula that's going to output some sort of insight to an operator, like, hey, this machine is going to fail, or this patient needs this particular service, something to that effect. We're we're training that either typically on a cloud infrastructure or our own big machine servers that we have at our offices. Now, you might want to move that, or the, 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 there's training there and there's also firing, so the, the, the input comes in and then we fire an output. Now, for certain use cases, you might want to move the part of the training, but mostly the firing to the edge to have it on um, um, closer to a person. And the reason for this is a number, a number of, of, um, of is multifold. One is privacy. Maybe you don't want all data going back to some cloud server. So if you have a sensitive area, you just want to keep it on site, fire on, on, on that case. Speed, so you don't want to have to go transmit data to the cloud and send it back. It's faster if it happens on the local machine. And then um, a three is the cost. So there is cost to sending data up and, uh, up and back to, to the cloud. And so for those reasons, you might want to have it on the edge or in a local machine. Now, the trouble, as John alluded to, is that it's not always that straightforward to do. <laughs> you know, you have power issues, you have connectivity issues, you have maintenance issues. Like the you know the, the team on site might not be managing your uh, machines as much as you would. Um, so that that is troubling. My sense is that we're seeing a lot of progress on that end. I'm starting to see a lot more specialized chips that are being manufactured. That are that are designed specifically for edge applications. That's one. Um, I'm starting to see more model support. 
for deploying models to the edge. So we may train in the cloud, but then deploy that to a compatible edge device so that we can actually uh, implement that. A good company that I track on that space is called Edge Impulse. So Jose, I, I, I suggest you check them out. I feel like they're kind of at the lead of that. Um, but more and more, I'm starting, we're starting to see that happen. Um, it's starting to leak into the consumer space. I feel like the consumer space is maybe a little bit early here rather than the industrial space. On the consumer space, you should check out a company called Aura. They make a ring that you would put on and tracks your sleep. Great device. There's a lot of AI on the edge that's happening there and it's super insightful. $300 probably giving you technology that would have only been available in a sleep study clinic 10 years ago for $10,000. So great example. There's something called the whoop strap that you put on and it would monitor your vitals as you work out and you train. Great information there as well. And so I think those are really good use cases that show you what's capable, what's possible with Edge, but also the, the, the evolution of Edge. And sooner or later, you're going to see that translate more on the industrial side, which surprisingly has been a little bit behind on this front. I'm not sure why, but I think you're going to see more on the industrial side um, and, and, and see that kind of happen there. Thank you. Thank you for the references. Yeah, thanks. And so, folks, as you're thinking about your own business, how are you thinking AI and machine learning data capabilities might actually improve your business? Of course, you do that by helping your clients. What use cases are you guys looking at? Anybody have some input there? Yeah, I'll, I'll chime in. So I run a technology company for uh, online community platform. And we have a lot of different uh, use cases, a lot of different clients and investment functionality and social impact groups and professional networks and job boards. So there's a few areas where we're looking at AI and have been talking about it for a while. Uh, one of them is for uh, our client that does a job board, which we're actually going to have um, several clients in that case. We're matching candidates with potential jobs. I mean, we have some basic matching technology, hmm. but it would be very interesting to do it more, in a more sophisticated way. And then also another client is uh, setting up a matching technology for investments, for matching investors and companies together. And we can do it again. We can do it with basic matching to start with, but ultimately would be much better in an AI type of form. And then there's also just, and because we're a community, an online community platform, similar to like a, a, more, a more private and more sophisticated Facebook type in, uh, in, um, environment, there could be ways to deliver content, you know, curated content to people as well. So there's a, a quite a few newer, different uh, use cases at various levels of sophistication. Manny, any feedback from you on that? Makes sense. Match is a good place to start. Just like a lot of um, the early uh, internet companies started with the recommendation engine, uh, Google, Amazon, that you know, Facebook, it's all kind of bread and butter. So it makes sense, Denise, that ma a matching type of engine would be a really good fit for an online community where you're trying to match different people. I mean, you could also call it a recommendation engine too. I guess you can, you can say that, but I think that's a really good place to start. I would be curious to think about I would, no, I'm not curious, but I, I'd, I'd ask you to think about what is the, the winning coefficient for those individual instances. So if you match an investor with a product, how do you determine that whether or not that was a successful match? Is it that the, they stay with the product for three months? Is it that they actually bought it? Is it um, that they showed interest? To me, that would be key because that's going to be the, the feedback mechanism that is going to allow you to get better over time. 
It's a sort of a thumbs up, thumbs down type of learning mechanism or something. I've seen that done in, a, in an AI tool, we, an AI company called Renology that we work with on content where they have a thumbs up so the system can keep learning. That's exactly it. And that's the, the, the key benefit of AI is that it's a continually learning system, micro every day, but over the course of a year, you have like, you've made a lot of progress. And in order to take advantage of that, you need a, the right scoring mechanism, thumbs up, thumbs down. I mean, whatever that is, um, I would just spend a lot of time thinking about that because it could be that you don't have the most sophisticated AI model, but because you have the right scoring metric and you have a ton of data, you can beat somebody that has a super sophisticated deep learning model. Like I've seen that happen all the time. Oftentimes data and the right, the right setting up of that problem beats out the deep learning neural net stuff that, that gets all the buzz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, a little bit of fun history in 19, uh, boy, when was it? 1993, no, 19, 1989, I worked at Lehman Brothers and I had a guy working for me named Peter Brooks and his sole job was neural nets. So that's how far back I do go with this topic. And obviously that was very unsophisticated then, but I learned a lot back then. So I thought you'd get a kick out of that since you're also financial services. Yes, absolutely. I feel like finance has led the way on a lot of this stuff because, you know, data has been so data. important. To, yeah, data. Is, we, I mean, we've been tracking this since the 1950s. I can show you the return for every stock going back 40 years. Many other industries, you have nowhere near that level of, of data sophistication. Yeah. Yep. The only other area I would say is baseball. So baseball and finance. Moneyball, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, probably in the racetrack too. <laughs> So Edmund, are you are you there, Edmund? I'm just curious. Yes, uh, I am. Yes, I am. Hi, everyone. Tell them uh, about it, uh, where you're coming from and uh, what you're seeing. Uh, on my end, uh, I let me uh, a little background of who I am and what I do. Uh, I'm with the Canadian consulate here in Houston, and I promote AI development as means to investments into Canada. Uh, one of the things that uh, we have in Canada is talent, especially when it comes down to data scientists. And we have been doing this. Uh, the country Canada has been uh, uh, has identified AI as a uh, growth factor in in, in Canada. And uh, uh, pretty much all the universities has one way or another a program uh, to develop uh, data scientists. Uh, we have, uh, the Canada has uh, put in money. Uh, we have back in, um, I, I would say probably about five years ago, don't quote me on this. Uh, I'm really, I'm trying to figure out all the <laughs> benefits that we have done. One of the things that we have done is super clusters. Uh, it's basically trying to bring in public, private academia uh, as a group uh, to create an ecosystem um, uh, for AI. Uh, it is one of five. Uh, we have spent uh, close to a uh, billion dollars in development. Um, we brought in um, uh, uh, key uh, teachers, uh, professors, uh, uh, thought leaders in AI and developed uh, along the way. The one that's leading right now, it's probably uh, Toronto, uh, uh, Ontario, uh, where they have all of these universities and AI uh, ecosystem, um, and, and basically uh, they have uh, 
institutions, research institutions that are totally dedicated to AI development. Uh, and Mila is one of them uh, in, uh, in Ontario. The other one is in uh, Edmonton Global, where is the, they have Amy. Uh, you know, I could go on with a lot of this information. So, so Edmund, but what I can do is, John, I can send you a, a sort of like a booklet on what are the AI developments in Canada. Probably all your uh, attendees might be appreciative. Yeah, do that, and uh, you could even drop it in the the chat box if you have it handy. But I mean, what um, that's really great that you guys are investing so much. Are there particular uh, capabilities that you're lacking that you are looking for that you're calling for? Uh, I, I think right now two things. One, uh, one is the autonomous vehicle. Uh, basically, there is a lot of. Uh, talk about uh, getting autonomous vehicle up and running, and, and that's going to that's going to kind of boost um, the transportation industry. That is one. The second one is power generation. So uh, we have a lot of this power generation that are taking place, uh, but are we efficient in 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 ways power efficiently? Uh, that is a question that been 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 floating around for a long time yeah. um, in the in the in the microgrid area in the battery development area uh, including um, uh, in the uh, in our uh, provincial uh, municipality grid system because we have uh, energy that is coming in from solar wind right. geothermal hydro uh, at what point we should be using what energy if the wind is not blowing we don't create energy. If the, if the sun is not there, we're not creating energy. So yeah. trying to find the efficiency in uh, power generation is one of the main things uh, okay. for the industry in, uh, in Canada. Great. Thank you very much, Edmund. So yeah, if you could drop the links now or email it to me and I'll send it out in the post show notes. Yeah, I'll, I'll email it to you because it's kind of a, a, a large document. Okay. So so uh, what about uh, you, Mafe, or... Zongwei, you know, your business is different. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what kind of cases you're looking into? Um, for, for what I'm looking into, especially for the eco-village and integration for smart city, it's very, I'm in the early stage of ideation for integrating it. Although the eco-village design has been um, I had created it a few years back when the, the big typhoon hit my country, the Philippines. And uh, uh, currently, how do we, uh, the, the integration of it into creating a smart cities, because not everybody will be, um, will be living in islands and all this, and people will also be living in cities. So... Um, so the, it's I'm a long ways away in terms of the application of this, but right now is the time to kind of um, uh, learn it deeply and uh, under and understand it. Any uh, any thoughts on that, Manny? Anything from you? Makes sense. A lot of projects start there with some early ideation. Um, again, I would I would advise you to always be thinking about how you're going to prototype it. In a very short period of time, don't take three months. Take four weeks. Get, get test your idea at the basic level. Um, think about the the how you're going to sell it to an executive or a leader. 
Uh, don't just think about the technical part. I see this go wrong with a lot of folks that are trying to do this sort of stuff. They just want to focus on the technical part. Um, but you have to you have to be able to sell it because it's going to take a quite a bit of a bit of investment to make it um, happen. And then um, try to productionize something, even if it's a containerized API standard AWS type of thing, or you can fire into some sort of UI. You're going to learn a lot just by doing that. So as you as you you know start this journey, just you know keep those three uh, uh, three things in mind, and always ask yourself, am I doing this for this particular iteration of my um, development? So Songwei, can you know can you Thank just you. a little bit about your business, Songwei, and then maybe about some of the the cases, uh, you know, the ways that you're trying to leverage the data you have to improve the client experience. Yeah, so for myself, I'm in the oil and gas, uh, and uh, my company is doing more of like a asset integrity management, inspection services, and similar. So we hear a lot of this buzzwords about integrity management, AI, predictive analytics, and stuff like that, right? So, um, and obviously, a lot of times, like uh, I, the way I view it is that in the oil and gas industry, you you might have a huge tro troves and troves of data, right? But some data might not be shared, might be proprietary. So it's pretty much like up to each individual uh, to look for your own services, how you can uh, get insights uh, out of the data you already have. Uh, and I think some of these points that uh, Maddie brought up a little, uh, the challenges, right? the practical challenges is very relevant. Uh, I mean, at least for my company, I, I feel that it's like, okay, we, we know about this. We, we, we can see that it's a wave coming. But uh, there, there, there isn't really a focus, right? But for myself, it's like, I think that uh, it's something that we should uh, really eyeball and uh, start thinking about and uh, try to see what we can do. How can we, you know, be ready or apply the technology into our business to, to, to deliver greater value to our customers? So, so Manny, you know, I know Zongwei's company, it's a very innovative in what they do, but this is something new. Could you, you know, what words of advice would you have with Zongwei who's going to have to kind of, looks like he's going to have to kind of lead this and bring it up to the management team. As I mentioned, this is where leadership comes into play. I had um, a newsletter a newsletter recently, and I talked about um, how a mentor of mine described uh, the differences between leaders, employees, and managers. And he kind of in a flippant way, he said, um, employees, think about the past, what's happened. Managers think about what's going on right now, how to optimize that. But leaders are looking ahead in terms of where the puck is going and helping the organization get there. That's what the best leaders do. And I think Jeff Bezos is a great example of that. You could have, you could have easily said like, Jeff, like we don't have any resources to spend on AI and machine learning. It's not even that big of a deal just yet. But he had the fortitude to say, no, I know this is going to be big. And I'm gonna make I'm gonna make you guys do it, or at least have an opinion, in right. terms, or at least make you to start thinking about it and and um and formulate that. So I would say that um it's gonna you know it's gonna be tough. You're gonna get pushback, um, but I think the you know the best leaders know how to handle that, how to handle the messaging, how to get people excited about it, and how to back that up with some kind of immediate wins. That help build the momentum. So another part, another part where I've seen this kind of fall short a little bit is where you do have a big AI push within the organization, a lot of hype, a lot of hoopla, and then crickets for six months. And then when when that thing does get launched, it's like a total flop. And 
that's another way where you can just completely take the steam out of your initiatives too, because people are just going to get demoralized and like, Oh, we told you like hype, whatever. So that's, that's the advice I would give you is, you know, think about how you're going to roll that out, get people motivated and excited, but then also think about how you can put together a quick win to, to, to help build the momentum and, and help people get over that initial hype a feeling or initial skepticism that um, I see, I see in, in AI and machine learning. Thanks for that, Manny. Uh, any questions from anybody else around uh, business cases, uh, questions about how to get started for Manny? Okay. Well, Manny, why don't we, we're really up against it in terms of time. So can you just kind of leave us with uh, last words of, of wisdom for people who are getting started? Uh, sure, sure thing. I mean, I think this is a wave we're seeing. We, we saw it start off with the internet companies. Now it's starting to get into manufacturing with Tesla. You see more companies jumping on this wave. Um, I'm, I'm pretty confident that in three to five years, your biggest competitor is going to be using AI machine learning to disrupt you. And if you're a legacy company, um, you have those challenges that I mentioned, but you also have the advantage that you probably are seeing the data that is going to power those AI and machine learning initiatives, you're seeing that data right now. Your competitors don't. So the question is, how do you play those advantages and minimize the, the disadvantages that you might have, legacy tech, um, an antiquated workforce? And how do you play to your strengths where you can leverage your domain expertise, your um, the data that you're seeing right now to help propel you ahead of that competition that is going to be riding this AI wave? So th those would be my party thoughts. And I think uh, we have one more question here, John, from, yeah, from Edmund. Ahead, Edmund. Go ahead. Uh, and, yeah, Manny, uh, quick question on the, uh, developments in AI um, in, in Houston versus uh, the US and in Canada. Uh, how has it progressed uh, so far in terms of um, uh, industry adoption as well as industry recognition? Mm. Um, if you're asking me to think about AI from a geopolitical or geo, geo, a geo perspective, mm -hmm. yes. Um, yes, totally. Um, I, I would say that right now, the big, the big contrast right now is U.S. versus China. Uh, I think both the U.S. and China see AI as an absolutely strategic imperative. You know, it's, I, I, would, I, would, I would put it up there equivalent to, to, to nuclear nuclear capabilities. That's kind of where I think people are looking at it. And you have uh, different countries that are going out about it in different ways. You mentioned, Edmund, how Canada's doing it, which I think is very interesting. I really like that approach of a private-public partnership sponsored by Canada, um, supported by folks like you. I think that's key. And playing to your strengths. Um, Canada has great institutions. Some of the best minds in deep learning AI has have come out of, out of Canada. And in fact, you might argue that the most recent renaissance of AI was triggered by uh, Canadian institutions, people that were not seen as credible for a long time. Then they cracked the code on deep learning and boom, we have this huge renaissance in AI that we're all kind of benefiting from today. So I think that's a huge play. But China, um, they're doing really, really well on this front too. I think you know, no other company has made as much progress on AI machine learning as China. They have a couple of key advantages. Of course, they have a very um, well-structured government that can put resources behind this and, 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 and get results. Um, and um, they have also the benefit of new technology 
uh, new infrastructure. Like a lot of their companies are internet companies first. They're not, you know, they're not, they haven't been around for a while to pick up legacy debt. So yep. immediately they have a digitization framework that makes it so much easier to do AI. If you start with digitization first, then you go AI. That's much easier than having than starting with analog, which you have a lot of legacy companies do in the U.S. because we've been around for a while. Then you have to digitize that. Then you go to AI. Well, that's not the case in China. You just you're all they're all brand new companies that have brought that have sprouted out in the last ten years, and then boom, you go into AI. And they're 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 making a lot of progress on AI, very aggressive and AI. I would say um, the U.S. Two more questions, Manny. Uh, one sure. is uh, one is cybersecurity mm. uh, in the face of AI. One. The second question is quantum computing. Oh, you got 30 uh, Your thoughts on that, those two. <laughs> 30 seconds, no problem. Uh, quantum com computing, I'd see it as a function of being able to train my models faster, um, progression from GPUs to TPUs to quantum. I, so I, I think that's gonna be helpful. I don't know if it's gonna be the step change that everybody thinks it is, but I think that's gonna be marginally helpful. Cybersecurity, um, you know, from a from a, an attack defense perspective, AI is going to be key. Like you can use AI to absolutely infiltrate a whole system and to have autonomous agents working within backdoors of a, of a network. You can also use AI to guard against that too. So you know, to me, it's like you got to have both you know offensive and defensive capabilities for for cybersecurity using AI. Thanks, Manny. And that's going to be the last word, folks. How was the talk and discussion today? I just dropped the link for our 30 second survey. It helped us a lot to grow, make it better for everybody the next time. You or somebody you know, a thought leader, somebody who wants to test drive a current challenge and get some new ideas, help others connect and learn, just like Manny today. Our call for experts is always open. We'd love to hear from you. And so is our call for new annual members and show underwriters. We wanna be the part of this transforming the FT vision networking community into action and good for good business, let me know on the survey and we'll follow up with you. FT continues to grow because of you. So please keep sharing and inviting leaders that you want to network with and add our shows and visit our library of experts onto YouTube and podcasts at FTE.network. Next Tuesday, May 3rd on the FTE show, the Energy Transition Balancing Act the, and the impacts of the Russian invasion on Ukraine. Is the global energy transition coming along to plan? How do we maintain energy affordability and security during this transition? And how does this impact your business? Join the talk and discussion with renowned Columbia University senior research scholar, Marianne Ka. Not gonna wanna miss it. Register at fte.network right now. Folks, we're out of time. Thanks once again, Manny, and to all of you guys for making FTE Connect and learn from the experts the best part of your day.